you got your Bibles there, I'll get you to open up to Exodus chapter 32. <clears throat> Ex- Exodus chapter 32. So I'm just going to read uh, six verses, and then we're going to talk about it. Um, So Exodus 32, we're starting at verse 1. It says, When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us who will go before us, because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron replied to them, Take off your gold rings that are on your ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, fashioned it with an engraving tool, and made it into an image of a calf. Then he said to them, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of it and made an announcement. There will be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. Early the next morning they arose, offered burnt offerings, and presented fellowship offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. So um. Those of you familiar with this text, you, you, this is a very famous sort of Bible story. We teach our kids about how God had given them the Ten Commandments, you know, don't make any idols. And then, boom, here we are a few pages later, we're making idols. Why are we making idols? And um, I just want to unpack this a little bit this morning because I, I, think, it, I think it's pertinent to us in, in, in our day and age and in our time here as a church. And so a little bit about the story. If, if you're not already familiar, Moses was uh, the, the guy obviously commissioned to lead uh, Israel out of, uh, out of exile and out of bondage under slavery to Egypt. He was leading them to the promised land. And uh, they'd been led to Mount Sinai where they were having this ongoing conversation with the Lord. The Lord invited them to have this conversation. uh, But the people elected to have Moses intercede on their behalf. They didn't want to come near the mountain. uh, So Moses was the one going up and coming down with the word of the Lord. Going up and coming down with the word of the Lord. And, um, And so he's gone up. A few times he's come down, he's given them the Ten Commandments already, he's spoken to them uh, about this, and in this moment, at this part in our story, he is back up the mountain. And it says in chapter 24 of Exodus that he's been up there for 40 days and 40 nights. So like a month and a half. It's a long time to be up a mountain. Um, So he's there for 40 days and 40 nights. And so... What then happens is the people, the people are sort of standing around and they're like, okay, well, well, we got to do something. You know, we can't, we can't just hang around a mountain all day. You know, we've, we, we've come here, you know, to worship Yahweh. We've come here uh, to, to, to worship this God of ours. We, we've already got some of the commandments and all these sorts of things. And well, we've got to do something. We can't just hang around all day waiting for Moses to come down the mountain with the word of the Lord. We've got to do something. And so they go to Aaron. Hey, Aaron, come on, man. Like, let's, let's, let's get this going. Let's, let's make ourselves... Let's, let's make ourselves an idol. He says, come make gods for us who will go before us because this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't even know what's happened to him. After, after 40 days, a month and a half, Moses is gone, and I don't know what the, their thought process is. Maybe they're assuming Moses has died up the mountain. That's why he hasn't come back down. Maybe he's died up the mountain. Perhaps God has abandoned them. Maybe God has changed his mind, you know, 
We, we, it's difficult for us to kind of get into the mindset. After all, we've never lived in the desert like that. We've never come out of exile like that before. Um, it's a, definitely a strange situation. And so <clears throat> they go to this guy in charge. You've got to do something here, man. Make, make us gods for us to worship. We can't be waiting around here forever. Now, I want to highlight something to you. Um, this seems culturally, we've we got to remember, we are so culturally distant, so culturally distant from this moment in scripture. Does that make sense? Like, is in this happened a really long time ago, and culture has a habit of changing. Matter of fact, they weren't speaking English. They didn't actually go, hey, Aaron, you know, like, make gods for us. It was, it was like, this was written in Hebrew, and we're not even sure if they were speaking Hebrew as we understand Hebrew when this first happened. That's how long ago this was. And so we look at this whole situation, we go, man, this is so dumb. Because I know in my Bible, it's literally like 10 chapters earlier. It's only 10 chapters earlier. God literally told them, don't make, don't make any idols out of gold and silver to worship. Like, just don't do it. And we're like, how short is your memory? It was only 10 chapters earlier. But you've got you to gotta take a moment and step into, step into this, this ancient Israelite mindset and the world that they had been born into and the world that they were raised in. All right? This is, this is a world where when you go to worship your gods, or when you go to worship your god, you do so in front of an idol of that god. That's just what you do. This was culturally normative for them. This was culturally normative. Well, we want to worship. We want to worship. Let's, let's just do what we've always done and what we've always seen other people do when they worship. Let's go and make an idol Let's make a sacrifice in front of it. Let's, let's just get going with this. And so they go ahead and they make this idol. And they didn't wait. They didn't wait for the word of the Lord to come to them about how it was they were to worship him while they were in this place and while they were in the wilderness. Because you see, the reality was is that God was trying to teach them a different way. God was trying to teach them something different about the way that he wanted to be worshipped. You see, it's interesting in, in, in part of Exodus when it talks about, you know, if you're going to make an altar, make sure you make an earthen altar. Don't, don't make one out of oh, all these, these, these big uh, complex structures. Make an earthen altar so that you don't expose your nakedness. And he says, and don't use cut stones. Use uncut stones, like rough. Make it, if you're going to make one, make it rough. Don't make it all pretty and expensive and don't make it flashy. I don't want you to worship me like that. He was already trying to lead them out of this culturally appropriate way of worshiping the gods when he's come to them at this moment. Does that make, does that make sense? Did you kind of get that? So he was trying to teach them a different way. He was trying to shift their paradigm for how worship should be. Unfortunately, they failed to wait for what God had for them. And in doing so, ended up creating something that was less than ideal and in the end was idolatry. In the end was idolatry. So there's three things I want to draw out of this passage for us. There's three things I want to highlight for us. The first one, the first point is this, is that unrestrained restlessness leads to idolatry. Unrestrained restlessness 
leads to idolatry. There are times and seasons when the Lord will not give you an instruction about what you are to do next because he wants you to wait on him. When he wants you to wait on him. And it's been my experience that when this happens, when this happens, when, when God's like, no, I want you to wait on me for this, you can often approach that initial part of waiting with great enthusiasm. All right, cool, God, I'm, I'm, I'm cool to wait. I'm cool to wait. I'll wait on you. I'll wait for the word of the Lord to come to me. God, I only want to do what you want me to do. God, my heart is pure before you, God. I don't care what anybody else says. So long as it's what you want me to do, I'll do it. You just speak. And he says, wait, I'll speak to you. I'll speak to you. I'll speak to you. I'll tell you what I want you to do. But you need to wait. And, and, and in the beginning, you're enthusiastic about that because, you know, God's going to speak, right? When God speaks, things get exciting, right? Sure. Yeah. 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 You know. <laughs> speaks. Light out of nowhere speaks, the planet, you know, all of creation, the fish of the air, the birds, <laughs> the fish of the air, birds of the sea. That's what it says in my Bible. That's, you know. <laughs> but you experienced just before when we were in worship. You experienced it just before in worship when the Holy Spirit took over and started to lead there. And we did like an extra 20 minutes on what we would normally do. And the presence of God was there. When, when God is present, when God is moving, things get exciting. All right? And so, and so often with times we can approach these, these moments. When God says wait, we're like, yes, all right, God is going to move, and it's going to be great, and it's going to be powerful. And he says, wait. Okay, God, I'm still waiting. He says, wait. Okay, yep, I'm definitely waiting. But then what happens after a while is we kind of then begin to go, how long have I got to wait for this? How long have I got to wait for, for you to speak again to me about what it is that's going to happen next? How, how long have I got to stay in this place? How long have I got to stay encamped around the mountain in the wilderness? How long, how long, how long? And what begins to happen is our hearts begin to get restless because what tends to happen is all those weaknesses in our heart, those insecurities, those little issues of sin, the, 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 the desire, the desires of the flesh begin to creep out and they begin to desire and to begin to inflict themselves upon your mind and inflict themselves upon your thinking and your desires and all these sorts of things. And you're like, well, I knew in the beginning I wanted what God wanted from me, but I've been sitting here and waiting for so long. Well, I've actually got a lot of great ideas now about, you know, God... I know I'm waiting for you to tell me how it is you want me to worship here, but look, I've seen some great stuff happening back in Egypt. And um, look, I'm going to be honest with you. It's pretty impressive. If we could just bring some of that here to the mountain, um, I think, I think that would be really great for, for all of us. I'm sure the surrounding nations, they'd be impressed with that if we did that as well. And our hearts begin to get restless because we get discontented with waiting on the Lord. And, and the issue... Here in Exodus is they got restless. And in their restlessness, they demanded that Aaron do something to satiate their restlessness. They demanded that Aaron do something to satiate his rest, uh, their restlessness. 
And we have that same cultural proclivity here in, in, in the West, in Australia. We have been so programmed to need to be constantly doing something, constantly achieving something. We are addicted to our phones. We are addicted to screens. We, we have been psychologically hijacked to constantly need to be doing something. We, we cannot sit still. We cannot have times of silence. We cannot, we cannot, we cannot, because we have to be doing something. We have to be doing something. We have to be doing something. And if you're not doing something, if you're not achieving something, if you're not kicking goals, if you're not whatever it is you're doing, then something must be wrong. That's the way we think about it. That's the way that we're trained. If you're, if you're not out there, if you're not out there, and being as productive as you could possibly be at the expense of all of uh, everything else, then what are you doing? What are you doing? There must be something wrong with you. Because the world system has wired us to value productivity over people, results over people. The reality is when the kingdom we're often called to love to care for and value those things that the world doesn't care for. But it all comes from this unwillingness, this unwillingness to simply wait on the Lord, even pressing through that restlessness. So that's the first thing I want to draw out of this passage is that, is that this unrestrained restlessness led the Israelites into idolatry. The second thing I want to actually draw out of this passage is that... <clears throat> At least from their perspective, they were well-intentioned. At least from their perspective, they were well-intentioned. Look here at verse 5. It says, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of it and made an announcement. There will be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. So the Israelites... In their restlessness, they're like, you know, we've got to do something. We can't wait for Moses. We can't wait for the word of the Lord to come down the mountain. We've got to do something. All right, we're going to make this golden calf. And then Aaron's like, well, now that we got this golden calf, we got the, we got, you know, the God who's brought you out of Egypt, what we're going to do, we're going to have a festival to Yahweh. This, sometimes we read that and we go, oh, they were off worshiping other gods in this whole process. No. No, they weren't trying to worship other gods in this whole process. They were just trying to worship the God that they thought was on the mountain in their own way. And so they made an idol and they said, this is, this is him. This is his idol. Here's this golden calf. You know, never mind the fact that 10 chapters earlier, he literally told us not to do it. In fact, he told it, in, in, if you go back to Exodus 20, it literally says it twice. He says, in verse 4, Exodus 20, says, Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth or in the waters under the earth. And then later on, and then later on, he has to reiterate to it. it re reiterate it again in verse 23. Do not make gods of silver or to rival me. Do not make gods of gold for yourselves. And that's literally what they've done in verse 32. But they were well-intentioned about it. They were well-intentioned about it. Remember, Culturally, they were conditioned. This is how you worship. We just want to worship Yahweh. What's wrong with that? We just want to worship. We just want to do it the way that we've always... We know how to worship. We don't need any more instructions on how to worship. We know how to do it. Let's make an idol. Let's make a sacrifice. And we'll sit down. We'll have a barbecue and a party. That's what we're going to do. The second thing about this 
is that they were well-intentioned. But good intentions don't prevent you from idolatry, don't keep you from idolatry. Good intentions aren't enough to save us from idol-making because good ideas are not always God ideas. The third point I want to draw out of this is that if they had just waited for the Lord, if they had just waited for the Lord, he already had plans put in motion for their worship and their well-being. That's what Moses was up the mountain for. He already had plans. God already had designs. God already had things in motion that he had for the Israelites. And there's this real temptation that when God calls us through seasons of change, that we can get restless. But we have to remember, God is always at work. We sing that song, Waymaker, you know, even when I can't see it, you're moving. Even when I can't feel it, you're moving. Because you never stop. You never stop moving. The infinitely wise God of all the universe has designs and plans and purposes for everything and so often, so often we miss out on what God has for us because we refuse to wait, not only for him to speak to us, but we refuse to wait for God's timing. We refuse to wait for God's timing. The reason why I'm preaching on this passage this morning is because this story was highlighted to me again recently in the last few weeks. The first time this story was highlighted to, to me and, 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 and to us, uh, to Tienes and I, was, was, back, was the back end of, of 2020. And so a bit about our story, you know, we, we started, you know, Grace House in, in, um, in late July in 2019. Uh, we moved into this building, you know, the first week of December 2019. It was very exciting. You know, there was a lot of things going on. And we felt like the Lord tell us to just stop. Not, just shut, not shut down the church or anything like that, but you just need to stop and sit. And I, I want to take some time for you to learn to listen to my voice. I want you to take a full year to listen to my voice. And then, so that, that was, the, that was the, um, the vision Sunday for 2020. Great vision. We've just moved into the building. We've got all this momentum and all this excitement around all this stuff. And the Lord says, do nothing. You're not going to start any new ministries. You're not going to get things going. You're just going to continue the prayer meetings that you already had. And we're going to learn to sit and wait upon the Lord. And um, that was all well and good. That was received really well. Like until about June, July. And then people were like, cool. So we sat. We waited. We listened. What are we going to do now? And it was at that time that the Lord highlighted this to us. And I felt like what God was saying to us at the time is, I really want you to learn to wait and to listen to my voice on this. Because I have plans for you, but the timing is wrong. You need to learn to wait and you need to learn to listen. Otherwise, you will go about, you could even build an amazing church. And it would be good. It could even have fruit. But in some way, it would still be an idol because it would be a good church built upon good ideas 
but with a foundation of restlessness, of human hearts that really just wanted to get something done. <clears throat> and I feel like the Lord highlighted this again to me in the past couple weeks. Because again, we're walking through a season of transition, with Tienst and Jesse being called uh, into a season of rest that the Lord um, has brought about. And, um, and he's brought this story back to mind. Not because he's Moses or I'm Moses or I'm Aaron or anything like that, but because this, is, this, is, this pattern of behavior of, yes, Lord, we want what you want, but then also now we want to do our own thing is a pattern of behavior that God's people have struggled with since the garden. Since the garden. The Lord gave Adam and Eve a beautiful place to live, a place of abundance provided for them. Everything. The only thing he says, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because on the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, do I believe that God wanted to withhold wisdom, the knowledge of good and evil, the knowledge of good and bad from, from Adam and Eve. I don't think God wanted to withhold that from them at all, but he wanted to give it to them in the way that only a father can give wisdom to his children. He didn't want them to take it for themselves, but they went ahead and did that. I think, I think of, uh, as well the story of, of Israel and them wanting a king. And they go to the Lord, Lord, we want a king. God's like, no, I'm your king. I'm, you, you don't, you don't really want a king. No, 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 we want a king. No, you, you really don't want a king. No, 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 God, we thought about it. We want a king. Look at everybody else. They've all got, got, they've all got kings. We want a king too. God's like, it's not. Look, Samuel, go to the people. Tell them a king is not going to treat you well. He's going to take your sons. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to take your land. He's going to take your wealth. Because that's what kings do. And the people are like, no, 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 we want a king. And so they got Saul. Now the Lord was able to bring good out of that. God was able to bring good out of any situation. And he's able to bring good out of any situation. Because that's just how good and faithful he is. And I'm just reminded in this season of transition that I want us as God's people I want God, us as God's people to really press in to hear his heart, to hear his voice, and for his spirit to be leading us and to be guiding us. Us as God's people. You know, my role as a, as a leader in the church is, is I think about the future. I think about plans. Tienes and I talk about all sorts of plans. We talk about really good things. We, we, we watch, try to watch out for the church and what's happening in the church. And we, we, we try to get alongside people and we try to lead and guide this church. Because that is, in this season, the role that God has given him and I in that. But the reality is, is that you are not somehow lesser than us. You are part of the very same body. And what I've noticed is that when people are truly listening to God's voice and they're listening to the Spirit and they're pressing in, if they're in the right place, 
when God begins to speak to other people, there tends to be, for lack of it, there tends to be like a resonance that happens, you know, like where people are like, oh yeah, God's speaking to you about that. that. Yeah, that's what God's speaking to me about, you know? Like the hand is not surprised by the foot. Like your body is not constantly, if it's working properly, not spasming all over the place because everything's just doing whatever it wants. It's, if it's all being led by the Spirit, God is speaking to his church and things make sense. And so, as an individual, I want you to, to pick this up as, as, as some wisdom for your life. Some of you are exactly where God wants you to be in your life right now. You're in the right job, you're in the right business, you're in the right school. You are exactly where God wants you to be. And I don't want you to panic and think, oh, oh, no, I need to quit my job or sell my business or whatever because maybe I didn't hear from the Lord. I, I want to encourage you to take your job and your business or your family before the Lord. And, and I believe you will be uh, blessed by the things that God has for your job and for your business and for your family. There's some of you who, are, who feel like you're in the wilderness right now. I know people, you know, I know, I know people who have walked through wilderness seasons that have lasted sometimes for multiple years, and it's been incredibly frustrating. But I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. It's always better to wait on the Lord for what he has for you rather than go and make an idol in your own strength. Please believe me on that. Believe God's word on that. It is always better for you to wait upon the Lord, even if it takes a long time than to go and make an idol in your own strength. And then for us, corporately, I just want to encourage patience as God does his thing. As God does his thing. As he moves people about, as he gives revelation about what the next steps are for grace. I, I love the fact that so many Sundays we show up and yes, we coordinate somebody due to the call of worship, but we don't tell them what they have to say. And we coordinate somebody to give a testimony, but we don't tell them what they have to say. We don't, you know, we have people leading worship, but we don't tell them the songs that they have to play. I'm just, I'm just, I love it that so many Sundays this happens that everything seems to be coordinated and everything seems to be lining up. And so I remain very confident that God still loves us. Amen? Some of you, some of you have gone very quiet and pensive. Um, I need you to break out of that real quick. <laughs> you're very unsettled. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. No, God loves you. <laughs> God loves you. God loves me. Um, he loves this church. And um, because of his faithfulness and his goodness, I know that God has plans for the future of this church. And because of his faithfulness, we don't need to worry. Amen? Amen. And so... We as a leadership team, we covet your prayers for two reasons. Uh, one, so that we can play our part as effectively as we possibly can. Your prayers enable us to do that to a greater degree. And secondly, so that the Spirit will testify to your spirit as plans unfold that we're heading in the right direction. And so... Just a bit of announcement before I wrap it up, and I'll, um, I'll invite the, the worship team back. So we, we've, been, we've been sitting down with, with wise counsel. Uh, like we said a few weeks ago, we've been sitting down with wise counsel and, and sort of, hey, we're heading into the season of transition. 
what what's this going to look like? Like, you know, what would you what what would you uh, what would you do if you were in this situation? And um, and we're talking about the future of Grace House, what it might look like, and we've we've definitely got some ideas about what that's going to look like. Um, but we just want to firm up those plans a bit more f- before we make any big announcements. But I did I did want to share um, just a, a couple pearls of wisdom uh, that we received when we sat down with a gentleman who has a wealth of experience with churches going through changes in pastors and seasons of change and transitions and all these sorts of things. And the first one is this, is that change moves at the speed of trust. Change moves at the speed of trust. And uh, often, this is what he said, oftentimes in transition and change, uh, there's a temptation to default to structure over relationships. There's a temptation to default to structure over and against relationships. And I just wanted to, I wanted to share that with you because some of you have asked, like, in this time of transition, oh, okay, well, what's, what's, our, what's our, our leadership structure look like? And what's, like, what's, how, how does this all work, you know, in the Constitution, all these sorts of things? And all those things will get worked out. But just I want you to remember the people who are here, the people who call this church home, the people who love you and the people that you love, with the, all the sweet peas holding on to each other. The reality is, all the structure in the world can never save a church. It's only the Spirit of God and the love of God and His people that holds a church together. Okay? That's the first one. That's the first one. And the second one is He said, don't be in a rush. Take the opportunity to learn to discern the voice of the Lord as a congregation. He was quite emphatic on that. So that's what we intend to do. We, 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 we want to, we, we, you know, we, we've got some plans that, we, that we, we believe are good and that they are the future of what um, the next season of Grace House is going to look like. But also, but also we trust that the Holy Spirit is going to be whispering to your hearts as well. We trust that he is going to be giving your hearts peace and assurance. We just, we just trust that that's what's going to happen. And so, um, you know, if next week we rock up and we've got a big golden calf here, and we're like, this is what the Lord has said, um, <laughs> I really hope the spirit within you goes, that's probably not it. <laughs> but I just want to encourage you I just want to encourage you that I actually believe in the Holy Spirit in you we believe in the Holy Spirit in you and um and so uh yeah just one other quick announcement thing I put it up in the Facebook group this morning but um uh you know as you know uh, we announced that Tina and Jesse are going to be moving on to this season of rest we believe that God has, has called them on and and um and uh, at the time, we were uncertain about, I'm just going to read this. At the time, we were uncertain about uh, just how soon that would be, how soon it would be that they, they would move on. Um, and we wanted to make sure the church was just aware anyways that that was something that we were anticipating. Um, that we are still in the process of talking to wise counsel about our season of transition that we as a church are heading into. And that we believe, uh, and what we believe that will look like. Unfortunately, um, unfortunately however, what happened was that at the day after we made the announcement, um, Jesse's father had a small stroke, um, and now they live on the Sunshine Coast, 
and so because of that, uh, Jesse and Tianis and the family have decided to move up their moving date um, to the 28th of April um, uh, to, to help, um, help Jesse's parents with that. Um, but for clarity, that doesn't mean that they've left the church. Um, uh, Tianis is still very much committed uh, to being here for us to, to uh, being here for us until we have just a clear plan of, of how we intend to proceed into the next little while. And so it doesn't mean that they've left the church, it just means that their Sunday morning commute will be a bit longer than five minutes. Um, and um, <laughs> as, just, as Tianis community, he's committed to stay until we have a clear plan in place for transition, uh, which I'm hoping we can finalize in the next few weeks. And so um, please be praying not just for Tianis and Jesse uh, or even just for us as a leadership team, but be praying for the future of Grace House and all that God has for this local expression of the church. And may we wait upon his voice so we don't go ahead and do really good things uh, without him and end up creating an idol in the process. And so um, I'll invite the worship team back up. And I'd love for you to stand if you're able. So Lord Jesus, we want to affirm once again that this is your church. That you are the head, we are the body. We are simply hands, feet, kneecaps, shoulders. We are your body. And that it's your spirit that abides in us and helps us to abide in you. So Lord, I just pray for our hearts that we would always be willing to yield to you, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would create a greater sensitivity in our hearts to discern your leading, to discern your voice. And that the desire of our heart would be, we just want to be where you are, God. We just want to be where you are. That means we're in the wilderness, we're in the wilderness, but we're with you. If we're in the promised land, we're in the promised land only with you. So Lord, we just declare that afresh and we bless your wonderful